every step of my life has been a valuable learning experience. Because one thing I learned at, at a young age was regardless of what happens in life, don't miss the lesson. Change is hard, right? Change is, is, is uncomfortable, it's, it's different, it's difficult, it gets, it gets discouraging sometimes, you know what I'm saying? But it's growth, you know? Nothing nothing grows without change, you know what I mean? If it's, if it's growing, then it's changing, period. So I learned that the more uncomfortable I am doing something, right, that I know it's going to be beneficial in the long run, then I'm on the right road. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Gazima. Today, I'm super excited to share the story of Derek. As we reveal his story, we'll learn more about how he found Greenpath. A native of Chicago, Derek runs a number of small businesses. For him, success is not just measured by his financial success, but by the opportunities he creates for others in his community. Derek's money story is as real as it gets. His journey might be winding, but in the several years I've gotten to know him, I've learned so much, not just about money, but life in general. So, unlike our typical interview which takes place over Zoom, I decided to visit Derek in Chicago. I was joined by my co-hosts, Omari and Shamika, and a special guest, Mick Dumpke. Mick is a reporter for ProPublica. He had originally interviewed Derek for a piece he wrote in 2013, which I'll talk about in more detail later. With that, let's meet our guest and my good friend, Derek. Derek, I'm so glad that you could join us here today. Um, as you sit here today uh, in August of 2022 and think about some of the things that are going on in your in your life, in your world when it comes to finances and goals and just kind of what's happening, like what are what are some of the most important things happening around you when it comes to your money at this moment? One of the most important things happening now, spending towards my money, is uh, the fact that I know I learned how to not only manage it better, but also how to use it to create other opportunities, not just for myself. Um, I think I've really learned a lot about how to use my money as a tool more than I did before. Um, I've given more value to it. Um, the more I think I really value, you know, my my money now more than I did maybe ten years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a much better understanding of its uses. Um, the pros and cons to it, um, and I realized I ain't never got enough. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I realized that you'll never have enough. But you know, learning to manage with what you have is probably the thing, the most 
prolific team. You know, over the years is learning how to do the most with the least. Mm. You know, so. So this is something that's going to sound like a simple question, but I know you well enough to know there's a complicated answer to this, which is how do you make your money? Where does your money go? <laughs> and I don't mean like, how do you do it? I mean, like, literally, where does your money come from? So I have multiple businesses. Like U-Haul service, U-Haul truck rental. I have moving service that's kind of attached to it. Um, I have a livery service um, that I do local cabs. I also have a limousine. So I do that. Um, <laughs> I work jobs. I work for the White Sox. I work for the Cubs. Got a lot. I, I mean, um, I guess in essence, the 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 the, the the last statement I made to the last question was, you never have enough of it. So I spend my time working towards acquiring more as much as I can. Because between family and my finances, you know, that's really all I got time for. To that point, right, your your family, uh, your, your life goals are important to you. It, let's just say short term, in the next six to 12 months, what are some of the financial goals that are feeling most important to you right now? Um, so I we just opened up. Well, we tried now two new U-Haul locations. Um, the one location that we had all that time prior to this, um, I mean, it does all right, you know, but it doesn't really it. It's not supplying the income that I thought it would be. So I just opened up two locations. My goal in the next six to 12 months is to have all three of those locations up and thriving to where I can say, okay, well, I can solely rely on that income to take care of all my bills, everything I need to be done. So that's my short-term goal to get those things up and running to where it's bringing in enough money to where I can be like, okay, well, not everything else is second care. Kind of like get to the point where any other money you make is sort of icing on the cake versus relying on the 15 Derek, you, um, I mean, coming from another major city, coming from Detroit, um, I've seen stories that are um, similar to the one that, that you are currently experiencing. Unfortunately, I mean, you know how this is. Sometimes they don't have the same ending um, as as the one that you have made for yourself. So I applaud you there. Um, but I wonder, um, you know, how, how much of being from Chicago, um, having sort of a, a, a go-getter, hustler's mentality, how much of that has fueled you to continue to grind um, now that you have started this new phase in your life, because it's something that I see in Detroit often, um, you know, you see it in Chicago, you see it in these major cities where folks who have not had the luxury or not had the systemic support of and privilege that that some families have have to do what they can. They have to kind of, you know, uh, put 
whatever skills that they have and whatever opportunities opportunities that they might have together to make ends meet and to make a dollar. How, how much of that Chicago mentality has been a part of, of your journey? Well, I think um, it definitely plays a big part in the makeup of the person that I am. Um, what I did was I had to learn how to redirect that image, you know, and once I figured out the road that I should be taking versus the road that I was taking or that I desired to take prior, um, it was real simple. You know, just convert the energy. Um, I put a lot of energy into things that probably were, I mean, I'm sure we all have, but in our, we put our energy into things that weren't, you know, as fruitful or as promising or, or morally correct or whatever. But I redirected that energy and I mean, I still wake up the same time, you know, like I did when I was doing whatever I was doing in Chicago. I, was, I woke up early then, wake up early now. Get out, I stayed out, I mean, witness, I stayed out late then, I stay out late now. I mean, I, it's, it's the same thing. And instead of me doing other things, you know, I'm out, I'm up 6.30 in the morning, I may have a moving job to 12. And from 12 to Five, I may be driving cab. Then from five or six, five to ten, five to eleven, I may go work the ball game. I mean, the makeup of who I am, the hustle, is it, it just is. I realized that if I took that same, because a lot of guys do it different, right? Where when they're in, when they're in the streets, right, they get up, they out, they grinding, they doing everything, and then when that that part of them doesn't exist anymore, they don't know how to. Utilize that time. So what I did was is I made sure I didn't have dull moments. I stayed busy. I made sure I was always chasing something productive. So as an employer, I'm wondering about how you are finding workers, both in the environment we in. We keep hearing about people having a hard time finding workers. And also, given your own journey from uh Basically, when we first met, you were an employee working on the street, and now you're managing a very different kind of business yourself. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you've had to grow your own skill set, how you think about this as a boss? To me, right, when I, when I first saw the first business that I acquired was the capstone, which was, you know, it's um it's I guess it would be like a gypsy cab back in the old days. You know, it's a livery service where, you know, I have drivers that basically they work in the community. Um and what what made me want to do that is because I knew that I would be able to create jobs for people who may may feel unemployable or that just doesn't have any other skills. You know what I mean? Um, so when I first when I first acquired that, what I was doing was I was going around to the guys that I knew that had bills, and I would go to them. I said, "Hey, man, look, I got a way you can make some money." Because you know it's a lot of it's a lot of red tape and stuff with Uber and Lyft that everybody just can't. You know, so I was like, "Look, I got a way for you to make some money. You don't got to be out here doing that. Make some money like this. Come on, I got you." So for that business, I mean, it worked out 
for a few guys for a lot of them it didn't. But I went to the people that I knew from the lifestyle that because it was my community. You know, I don't live over there anymore, but that's why I went back to because this is where, you know. So then I acquired the U-Haul. So now with that, now I have, I'm getting jobs for moves, right? So people are coming in to get the trucks and they're like, um, well, you know, I don't have any guys to move the stuff for them. Do you got some guys? I go right on the corners. Hey, what you doing? You want to make $100 real quick? Come on. So I would just go out. Like, I wasn't doing, there was, there's no application. You know, there's none of that. If you're trying to work, just come on. I got you. I'll make sure you work. i get you out the street for a few hours. You don't have to steal. I, true story, a couple of weeks ago, it's a guy I never met ever in my life, right? Now, over in the neighborhood, right, they have... So, so you know how the drug market is, right? Where the guys work for somebody else. So he was waiting to work and sell drugs for somebody else. And I was like, hey, why don't you come do this moving job real quick? And like, I have to give you 50 bucks. And I thought, oh, damn, so I'm like, it's just a couple hours. So when he came and I saw the size of the movement, I'm like, I told the lady, I'm like, no, we're going to get you more money. So I wound up getting the guy like 90 bucks, right? And like, four hours, right? So now when we got finished, obviously, you know, I took him back over to the neighborhood where I got him. He was like, man, man, I ain't got to be out here now. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't got to, you know, sit out here and risk my life, none of that. Thank you. I made, I probably made more with you than I would if I stayed out here anyhow. So because I'm not afraid, now mind you, you know, there's still a certain level of professionalism that I like, so I go with. It, you know what I'm saying? And I let them know, like, look, yeah, we just moving, but we don't want to scratch people's stuff up. We don't want to. And guys are receptive. So find them. Trust me. Finding them. If anybody need any employees, they can do what I do. I'm telling you, because there's a lot of people over in that neighborhood that don't have jobs, that's willing to work. And it's, 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 it's like, I get it. To where some people are like, well, I shouldn't have to bring the work opportunity to you. You shouldn't be looking for it. But sometimes that little extra push may save somebody's life. I mean, who knows what could have happened to that guy if he stayed out there, you know, doing what he was about to do instead of doing what I took him to do. So you, you speak of this experience where you were able to give an opportunity for someone, this light bulb went off to say, like, yeah, I can actually get off the streets. There, there's other ways for me to, to make ends meet. Thinking back to your own life, like, did you have that moment? Where did it come from? Did it come from someone else? Another version of you, did it come from within? Did you have that moment, but, or moments, but. So when those opportunities, right, may have presented themselves way more than I'm going to admit. Let me give you a little background. So, in the house that I was raised in, right, I was raised with both my parents, my mother and my father. My father worked every day. He worked for the VA hospital. He went to work, came home, probably have a drink or whatever, go to sleep, get up next day, do it again. He would come home and 
he would, if it's, it, he, he didn't seem happy. You know what I mean? He was working, we were taking care of, he was providing, but he didn't seem happy. Now, we lived in a family together. So now, downstairs, my uncle, aunts, you know, and it's a zoo. You know, my uncle was selling drugs, they were getting money like that, you know, my aunts and uncles was doing whatever they were doing, but they were getting a lot of money. So I would go downstairs and sit on the porch and watch my uncles, right, getting all this money, they get all the cars, all the women, you know, they, it's like they having fun. Like their life is exactly the opposite of my dad's. I don't see my dad much because he's at work and he's not at work. He's, you know, doing whatever to do with them. I'm seeing them all day. And it's like they're having a continuous party. So now, there were days when my dad would take us to work with him, right? We would go, you know, like holidays and stuff. We in school, we'd go over to school. But they were nothing like the days that we spent at work with my uncle. So when those opportunities came to be my father and the opportunity came to be my uncle, you know, I probably passed up on more opportunities to become my father than I, you know, would care to admit. So, I mean, I'm not sure if someone actually ever approached me the way I approached me. But I do recall times in my youth where, like, you know, there was something for me to do. If I, you know, there were times where I did other things besides. But those opportunities were far and in between. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a lot of I remember in previous conversations that we had, that there was a mindset shift that you had at some point during your incarceration where there was this moment of, and I don't know, again, I don't know if it was a specific moment, but I remember you described for me that there was a certain point where you just really like put all of your focus and energy into various ways that you might improve yourself, knowing that the day was coming sometime soon, but out and how do you best hit the ground running? Was that a moment, a series of moments, like, Um, it was a process. Um, it was like, I would get bits and pieces of revelation over, you know, over the whole experience. Um, because there were some things, there were some things that I didn't really see anything wrong with. And I, I'll admit that. And I had to, I had to, and I don't think Nick knows this, right? But like me having my conversation with Mick and in, in the beginning was kind of where my whole mindset really like shifted. And I made the push to be the person that I am today. Because so when me and Mick first were in interacted with each other. I don't think it was the initial introduction, but when we started talking, we were doing, he was doing the piece on the, the makeup of the drug trade. And one of the things that he kept emphasizing was how, what we both him was that the way that the drug trade in Chicago was, it's like, it was ran like a Fortune 500 company. 
like literally, like if the drugs, it was literally where you had CEO, you had, you know, chief of finances, chief, you know what I mean? Literally. So as we were talking and we started like kind of like breaking the whole, cause we like literally broke it down from the top to the bottom. So as we were talking, I started thinking like there's no reason why can't take those same people, right? And this same format and make it into what, because it's not like we don't understand what the structure is. So that was the beginning of me like saying, okay, well, instead of me preparing myself out to, to get a job, right? Instead of me going that route, let me prepare myself out to create opportunities a quick aside for a little more context for how Mick Dumkey, our guest interviewer, originally met Derek. He had written a piece about the drug trade in Chicago. He examined the unique skill sets that each person involved possessed and showed the parallels with a formal corporation. If you're interested in reading more, I've linked to the article in the show notes. You saw not only yourself and your inherent skill sets that you've always possessed, but just to possess the, the skill sets of everyone in your community. And so the division of, of what's actually manifesting now was sort of born in those moments. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, like I said, we, we broke down every aspect, right? And Mick did a terrific job because he spoke to not only me, but he spoke to people in different levels in the, the, the trade, right? And as I'm listening, I'm like, well, okay, so if this guy is equivalent to a sales representative, right, and this guy is equivalent to a CEO, and this guy is equivalent to that, I say, well, what's stopping from making those titles something that's real? Like, not just a uh, not just a similar you guys aren't you aren't you can actually be there so when i first started this question i said there were things about it that i didn't see so me and mick had a long conversation and i was talking about how that in my community like these like the the, the this the drug trade right it's the only means of income in our neighborhood income income like no one has a reason to come and spend money in our neighborhood unless they're buying drugs. And what happens is, is everybody becomes the whole community in a sense becomes dependent on this drug money because this is really the main source of income. And I'm like, and when I say multiple neighborhoods and like a cluster. Like, this is the main source of income. So I started looking and I started thinking like, well, how can we draw people into our neighborhood to spend money outside of drug? Because what happens is, is you lose the value of money when you get it like that. You lose the respect. Um, I read a book called Black Economics, right? And it was talking about how long the dollar bill lasts in the urban community versus in the other. When they say urban, of course, to me, the black community versus in the other community. And when I read, I start thinking about it like, 
Yeah, when these guys get this 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 illicit money, right? The first thing they do is they go to clothing stores, jewelry stores. So they pump that money right back out. But I wanted to figure out what we could do to kind of like block it in our community. How could we make this money stay around us? So obviously I had a lot of time to think about this and just trying to implement, you know, I know it's, it was steps, you know, steps I need to take as far as not just my own mental, but also my financial identity, you know, because it was non-existent. And I knew it, took, it was going to take finances to do anything. That brings me to the next thing I want to discuss, which is how you came to meet not only myself, but others at Green Path. Um, that is financial education. Um, so before we get into that intersection, I wanted to start with, I know you had actually helped to start a financial education program uh, within uh, the, the prison system when you were there uh, for yourself and your peers. How did that kind of manifest? Um, so I was looking for information to kind of um give myself some type of I wanted to make sure that I had some type of financial identity, right? That was one of the first things I knew I needed to do. So um I went into the prison's education department and I went to the head of education. I said, well, look, give me everything you got. Here, what is it? Okay, how old it is? I just want it all. I'll take the information I can use and I discard what I can. So what I found was, was that like, the information that they had was so outdated. Like, it was like, Balancing your checkbook in 1980 type information. You know what I mean? So I'm like, man, that's all they got. So um I went to the prison. I'm like, yo, we need some more stuff. Blah, blah, blah. They, oh, that's what we got. So I started writing. I went, um, I went to some type of, I forgot exactly where I got the resource from, but I went and I started writing different companies that was, you know, that had financial wellness and was trying to help, you know, just different things, credit repair, different, I was just writing. And we're great now. Now, um, it was probably, probably took about like four to six months maybe before I got a response, but it was the only response I got. We included the original letter in the blog post on GreenPath's website where this podcast appears. If you'd like to see it, please visit www.greenpath.com slash real stories. Here's a flavor of that letter. To whom it may concern. In the interest of good faith, I would like to thank you for first opening this letter, not tossing it aside. My name is Derek, and I am a native of Chicago, both born and raised. My reason for reaching out is that the services your company offers are extremely important and greatly appreciated by those who have the pleasure of utilizing them. I am currently in the custody of the United States Bureau of Prisons. I've been incarcerated for the last decade, and I am approaching my release rapidly. To prepare for my transition, I have begun to inquire about my financial situation with the credit bureaus. 
I have received my credit reports, and I have successfully disputed claims and had them removed. In this world, information travels fast, and success is even faster. Guys were approaching me to assist them in getting their credit report and dispute items that were inaccurate. Based on my minimal knowledge, I've had to tell many guys I just don't know what you can do. I had a friend set up a consultation session with one of your counselors. I was able to pass on valuable information to assist those that I could help. Whether you know it or not, your services have helped to reduce recidivism, if only by a couple of people. Derek's letter continued. It is important that a person being transitioned back into society are made available the tools needed to become and remain a pro-social member of their community. Credit and its proper management deters many of those getting out from under a life of crime. I currently facilitate a re-entry preparation program on finance, along with many others, and I'm asking for your assistance. I would really love it if you could put together a packet of information that may be helpful. I think the letter that I initially sent was like an introduction to who I was, and then I was letting them know. By that time, I had started actually working in the education department. So it was like, okay, well, now I'm not just asking for me, but I want to be able to share more updated information with the guys that's in here just getting ready to leave. I think the reason why for me to be able to share it the most more than just getting it for me, because I was going to get it for me anyway. But the reason why I wanted to share it is because the place where I was at, the prison where I was at, a lot of these guys that were getting out, they had been gone for a long time. So I'm talking about 15, 20. So, like, these guys don't know nothing. You know what I mean? And it was like, all right, I ain't been gone that long, so I'm a little something. But, you know, as the time was approaching for us to get out, you got apps. You got all these different apps that are managed things and do all these different things. And guys, it's like... Man, we ain't got to balance no checkbook no more. Because, you know, you do got guys that's coming in. You know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, we ain't got to balance no checkbook no more. We ain't and I'm like, well, why aren't, why isn't there information in here for that? So, boom, fast forward. Green pack. I get a package in the middle. And it was like, maybe like two workbooks, I think it was. I think they had sent me like, okay, so... It was a course that you guys had for kids getting out of high school. Was it high school going into college or was it college transit? But it was a transitional work. And so it was giving them information that, you know, like how to get a mortgage, how to shop for a mortgage, how to, you know, um, check your credit report, how to, you know, if you need to shop for a car. Different, you know, different things. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. Because although these guys are getting out of college institutions, so to say, they are getting out of institutions. So they would need, need these same tools to make the transition from if they want nothing. But they can use these tools to transition the same way that a college student would. So what I did was with I stayed in contact with Green Path and I kind of like I took the curriculum. And I kind of owned it. I made it all, I made it to where, although I'm reading the curriculum, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm explaining it to the guys in prison in a sense to where they can understand it, where they can apply it to their life. Even though my colleagues at Great Path had created curriculum for younger people transitioning into adulthood, 
the core of what was there felt very relevant to you and your situation. And then you took that and you kind of customized it both in terms of what you needed, what you imagined your fellow inmates uh, would need. And now I'm wondering, you did that. And then a couple of years later, you did get released. We'll talk about the specifics around that in a second, which is a very unique period because it was literally smack dab in the middle of the first couple of months of COVID. Incredible. But um, actually, no, let's not talk about that. That was very relevant to the reality that you were facing. Um, so I guess my, my general question is, all this theory of businesses, personal finance, life improvement that you had been really focusing on the last several years of your incarceration, now you're thrown out into the real world. What were the differences? How much of it felt relevant? How much of it did you feel like you were actually starting from scratch? So that right there, that questionnaire is not, it's not fair. And I'll tell you why. I was released, what, seven days after George Floyd? Maybe, no, not even seven, maybe like, like four or five days. After George Floyd happened, right? Smack dab in the middle of Corona, right? So it was fine. All of the things that I kind of prepared myself for was thrown out the window because everything was closed because of Corona. So it's like, wow, what do I do now? But because I had prepared myself, to make my own way anyhow, I was able to adjust. I amazed myself. You know, I was able to adjust to all, but it was like, you know how I looked at it? I was already coming into something unfamiliar anyway. So I didn't know how unfamiliar it was going to be, but that's a whole nother story. But, you know, um, because I prepared myself to be that the fact that I got out at the time period, I mean, it created a couple of glitches, but for the most part, it didn't stop me from flourishing. So, you know, it was it was a, it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Um, as you know, like Chris said, we stayed in contact. As you guys know, it was a lot of early morning, late nights. It was a lot of constant on the grind, phone not stop ringing. It was a lot of that, but it it was worth it. You know, it was worth all of it. I remember when we, we did our initial uh, interview and where you'd even get interrupted. You were in the halfway house and there'd be knocks at your door because you were <laughs> hustling then. I remember you were selling candy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, and that was crazy, right? So, like I said, I came out in the middle of the pandemic. Right? So nobody could go in. So I'm like, what am I gonna do? So I had homegirl, right? She was like, you need anything? So money, I was cool. She was like, well, you know, I got this EBT card. You know what I'm saying? You need some of this? I say, let's go to the candy house. I went to the <laughs> seriously. I went to the candy house and. Man, I snuck in. <laughs> I don't know how I had that much stuff up there. But, um, yeah, I started selling. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go outside because everything was shut down. But I still, you know, I needed money. So I started selling candy in there. You know, I started candy, potato chips, 
I even went and bought some socks. And he was like, yeah, I need a new pair of socks. Give me a dollar. You know what I mean? Um, I guess that's kind of like what Omar said. You know, that hustle didn't die. I just redirected that energy, you know what I mean? And I came right out the gate knowing that, okay, listen, you know, I don't have time to lie. And I, I think that frustrated a lot of people, that was, you know, especially my family, because they, but I did give them fair warning, like, listen, now I'm letting y'all know, when I get out, I'm hitting the ground running. So don't be looking for me to be trying to spend a whole bunch of time. I don't really got time for that. You know, I have goals. Um, so you mentioned that when you were incarcerated, you were providing some of that financial information to the other incarcerated people. Um, and also you mentioned that you spent some time in the halfway house. And um, did you share some more financial information there? And if so, between the um, incarcerated people and the halfway house, what was their reception to that information that you were sharing with them? In the halfway house, right? Uh no, I mean, I really wasn't there because I was, I was out most of the time, which was like amazing, thank God. But in the halfway house, no. But what happened was, was so some of the guys that I had met along the journey of me in my incarceration, um, a couple of them reached out to me because they had gotten out, and like I got one guy in Pennsylvania, he was like, "Yo, um, I want to try to get a house." What can I do? So, you know what I mean? Um, I gave them the information that I gave, but I made sure I let them know, like, look, you know, you know, you can go on the green path and they'll kind of help you out more. You can just go look on their website. So I've had quite a few guys that get in contact with me for little different things. Yo, um, man, I got this on my on my um credit score. How can I get this off? You know, um, tell me because I was doing it in there where I was dispute things for guys, help them get different things figured out. So when they got out, you know, they would find me on Facebook. And, hey, man, call me, message me, man, you know. And they'd be like, look, man, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that, you know. I even got, well, I don't know if he did. There was one guy, he actually was, he was in North Carolina. And he was he was like, yo, I'm going to start a U-Haul. How can I do it? So I got him in touch with my field representative and, he got him in touch with the field representative out there, and I guess even even the way I, I, I like, and that's it's, it's crazy that that was that Amari started with that question because even inside of there, I still was always doing something. You know, I was always so like I had I had gotten to a position where like I taught every class in there in education, every single every, anything to do with reentry, I taught. And they were like, yo, I don't know that for what? What else is there to do around here? Like, I felt like me teaching it was giving it back to me. That was that was me reinforcing it within myself. So I wanted to keep on doing it as much as possible. To the day I left, that's what I did. You know, after you were released, I imagine that you probably stayed out of the way and and you know didn't go back to some of the same spaces as you were in before but i am curious what was the reaction to the when you were in the system the folks that you were teaching what was their reaction to this knowledge and also once you got out of the system back into the into the world as people saw how you started to move differently what was their reaction as well to how you've applied all that you've learned 
I mean, there was skepticism on both out there and in here. There were guys in there who, oh, you're just saying that till you get out. Y'all don't take You know, you had that. Then you had guys like, man, ain't nobody going to give me no help. Ain't no, you know, you had guys that, that were guys that really didn't know what they were worth. Like, I had guys tell me, like, man, ain't nobody going to hire me. I can't do nothing. And I just like, and then you had other guys that were extremely receptive. Like, yo, like I had this one guy, he got on my nerves. Cause I'm like, he didn't even live in my unit. He would sneak to my unit to try to come and get like, man, what you got? What you got going on today? Because like I had so much stuff going on, even inside of there. Like, he like, man, I like to be like, how the hell you get in here? Like, you ain't supposed to be here. But but I respected the fact that. He ain't, he ain't sneaking over here to try to get no cigarettes or no wine, you know what I mean? He's sneaking over here for information that's in the long term going to be beneficial to him. So, I, I, come on, come on in the room, you know what I mean? But it was irritating. But um, <laughs> I learned to tune people out, Omari, you know what I mean? Like, if what you're saying is not relevant to my growth, then there's really no reason for me to listen to you know what I mean? So yeah, they were there, but they weed them, they, they weed themselves out, even out here. So I think the easier the, the reason my transition out here was easier is one because when I came home, right, it was Corona, right? So I really didn't see everybody initially. So and but I started my work initially. So now by the time everything is opening up and everybody is coming outside, I've already solidified my identity as this businessman, not the person that, you know, that previously. So they didn't have to see a lot of the, the struggles. Like when I first came home, right, it was, I saw a couple guys, right? And of course they offered me different, oh man, you cool, you good? You know, now nobody offered me no hard drugs or nothing, but I had guys, Honestly, come to me like, yo, I got a couple pounds of weed, man. You think you want to, man, I'll give you this. I'll give you a couple pounds, man. You know, weed ain't nothing. It's legal. And I'm like, for what? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, why? I already got my pound set out for me. I appreciate it. I know you mean, you may mean well, but that's going to probably do me more harm than, you know, I'm willing to risk. I think for anyone, as long as you stay firm, and you're constantly the man that you want to represent people to respect. So how did you transition? You were still in the halfway house, I think, um, when you started working the other businesses. Can you talk a little bit about that transition and, and, and what you were feeling as you were getting going? I had an older brother that had a very successful new business. Unfortunately, maybe a month prior to my release, he succumbed to Corona. So his establishment was still there. It wasn't, nobody was doing anything with it, but it was still present. When I came home, the opportunity presented itself for me to buy into what he had going on. So I kind of 
I don't even want to say buy into it because I kind of like just kind of like acquire it. It's like a blessing. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, it, it truly was a blessing that it just it kind of like fell in my lap, so to speak. I guess I, I initially I was a little afraid because I thought like, well, if this don't work, you know what I mean? It's like I'm going to invest myself into this. If this doesn't work, then what? Because honestly, prior to him succumbing to it, I never thought about it. I never, you know what I mean? I never, I knew that's what he did, but it wasn't something like, yo, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna open up the U-Haul business, I'm gonna do this, do this. I, I didn't think that. So now when my brother passed, I had a month now, basically, before I well, actually I was supposed to be out before, but anyhow. So now it changes. You know, it changed a little bit. And now it's like, okay, I have this opportunity. What am I going to do with it? How can I make this fit my agenda? And it worked out. I didn't know that until I started doing it. But that's a really, like, you can make some really decent money doing that. And so once I saw that, I'm like, well, if I can make some decent money doing it. And I let these guys know, because I know I've been with you. I know you guys aren't really clearing this much money today. You know what I mean? I know you guys aren't taking home what I'm taking home daily, even though you have to sell the jewels. And since I know this, I know how to present the opportunities. You know what I mean? So I saw that as another opportunity, not only for me to acquire income for myself, but to also present opportunities for others. We discussed a lot more with Derek, but we're going to save that for next month's episode. If you're a regular listener, you're familiar with how my co-host and I share some practical tips and reflections after our main interview. But today, I thought I'd use Derek himself, this time from an interview I did with him back in June of 2020. This conversation took place from his halfway house, and was a very short time after he had been released. I observed that Derek's long-term mindset was vital in keeping him focused. As you listen to what he says, think about your current environment and how that might differ from your future goals. Are you working on getting out of credit card debt or student loan debt? Are you trying to build up an emergency fund or a down payment for a house? Are you aiming to fund your retirement fund or child's education? While the specifics of Derek's environment and long-term goals might differ from yours, he offers a valuable lesson on the importance of one's mindset. Being in prison was, uh, you have to not focus on what's in there in order to actually get your mind frame out there. So, like, I had to live on the outside in the future, if that makes any sense. Like, I had to take my mind and place it in Chicago in 2020, back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to plan for, for five years later in outside of prison, and I had to start doing that way back then. Make making so, decisions that were just in first and foremost in the service of 2020 Chicago before anything right, else. Versus I think then I was in West Virginia. So versus being 2015 in West Virginia, I have to 
be mentally 2020 in Chicago. And so now I start planning for that. So what that entails is, okay, what am I going to do for it? Okay, hold on. Let me give myself options, right? So now I took a uh, a brick a masonry class, right? Mm-hmm. I had no intentions on being a mason, right? I, I'm to be honest, I had no intentions on being a brick, but I want to make sure that if all else failed, that was an option. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I took a CDL class. I had no intentions on driving trucks, but I gave myself that option. I took a forklift driving class. Now, maybe, but really that wasn't my plan. But I wanted to give myself an option. So I started planning for, for different things in the future way back then. And I kept my mind in that, in that space. I posed the following question to Derek via email while he was still incarcerated. Imagine being back home later this year in Chicago and meeting a young man in their early 20s who reminds you of yourself at that age. What advice would you give him? Derek offered advice in a variety of areas, but I'll lift up what he said about money and believing in yourself. Derek writes, I would tell them to learn more about maximizing their money. Learn how to get every possible cent out of every dollar. I would tell them to learn the difference between price and value. I would tell them that the most valuable asset they possess is themselves. How the most sought after and most handsomely paid people in the world first invested all they had into themselves. I would tell them to take their time, don't rush. There's a lot of life left, and if you keep speeding, you're going to let it speed right by you. But most importantly, I would tell them to learn to believe in themselves. Learn to have confidence in their abilities, even when no one else does. Be you, even when being you is not the most popular thing to do. Because when it's all said and done, you have to live with you and nobody else. With that in mind, I felt it was fitting to give Derek the final word today. As always, special thanks to Hero, who will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. I'm not ashamed of who I am and what I went through. What I went through is what I went through. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't want anybody to, I'm not looking for any sympathy. I'm not looking for anything. I just want to give a person a fair shake because I want them to know what they're dealing with and, and understand that, listen, this is, this is just, that's just a small part of who I am. Welcome back, Hero.